boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys in your ears presently. Hi, I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me on the Zoom is is uh Hal, what the uh, two Hal Rudnicks today? Just, oh, that was uh yeah, take two. That's Lon Harris. Hal into the Rudnick verse. We're going into the Rudnick verse. Oh folks. my God, the multiverse of madness. Lon, two Hal's is a lot for one. Too podcast. much. Way too much. Some say one is too much. Lon, we were off last week. Did you do anything fun with your? Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Did you honor the troops? Did you? <laughs> so that's that's me honoring those troops. Uh, well, no, Memorial Day. You don't. Isn't Memorial Day is the one? They're just the it dead honors. The, it, listen, I, the let me troops. sum up Memorial Day for you. Um, all gave some, some, some gave all, and it honors uh, those who fell, uh, servicemen and women who gave their lives for this country. Uh, yes. Lon, did you barbecue? So the living did... troops we honor on Veterans Day, Hal. There you go. There you yeah. go. And there's, is there an Armed Forces Day? There is also an, you're a, how dare I? There is also an Armed Forces Day. You're right. And you know what I did? I, I now I was about to say I did not honor the troops. That's not true. We're going to talk about it later in the show. Did you actively dishonor them? I went and saw Top Gun Maverick, which is my version of honoring the troops. That's oh. as close as I'm ever going to come to celebrate. You know, That's me standing on like a in a in, in downpour Arlington National Cemetery, <laughs> full military dress, giving that salute. you know that real not just the salute, but you know that real stiff salute that they give in the movies. Like there's the regular salute where it's like, okay, I salute you, I salute. Oh you. yeah, like Obama going up the steps of Air Force One with a yeah. cup of coffee in one hand. Right. It's like, <laughs> oh, salute, salute, salute. But then there's like in movies, Tom Cruise is good at this. He's got a real tight. There's that real Ooh. tight, fast salute, like that real aggressive military salute. I like that one. Oh yeah. What about? Do you like it when you get the really tight, fast Heil Hitler? Yeah. You want? I mean, you don't want a sloppy. Because you, you don't like, want a sloppy Heil. You know, there is that. Was that 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 Mr. Show sketch where they're the Satanists and they host like the the Satanist? Like, what would the televangelist show? It's like the Seven Hundred Club, but for Satanists. Okay. Do you know that one? And uh, Bob Odenkirk, he's the he's the you know the Jerry Falwell or whatever Jerry Robertson, yes. what, Pat Robertson, whatever the host of the Seven Hundred Club, but yeah. the Satanist version. And he does. He's got this like, oh hell Satan, hell Satan, but it's like a lazy. You know, like, like yeah. not not an intense Hail Satan. Like, all right, yes, thank you, Hail Satan, uh, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. And it's like, that's what that reminds me of. You got to Heil Hitler, you got to really put your Yeah, I, I, I think there was a comedian or someone who talked about, yeah, you got like the half-masked Heil Hitler, and then you got the full erect, I am standing at attention with my chest out. Yeah, like Hitler is here. I got to really like lean into it, you know? Like sometimes if Hitler wasn't there... You're just like, listen, we're all Nazis. We love Hitler. But like, you know, by the way, if you're out there and you heil Hitler, screw you. <laughs> you mean like members of our audience right now who are like, oh, they're they're just listening to this like, oh, finally, Lon and Hal having a conversation about something I can relate to heiling Hitler all the yeah, time. Like, I as love, I am want to do. Yeah, like we have someone out there wearing jack boots and an armband. <laughs> I don't do the. See, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I, I, obviously there is that 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 sub subset of white supremacists who are like literal neo-Nazis, like they're yeah. still into being Nazis and they love Hitler. And like, but that it's a small that's a that's a niche community at this point. Most of your white supremacists are just garden. Bro they're like those guys at Charlottesville where they just have the like 
Richard Spencer haircut. You know, yes. so it's real clean on the sides and and but more hair on top. But he and they was got all the tiki like, hell Trump, hell, you know. Yeah, like, those guys are not Madison like Madison Cawthorn. Madison right. Cawthorn was like, I'm in the Fuhrer's vacation. That's home. true. Yeah, right. Madison know? Cawthorn is one of those neo-Nazi like he like he loves Hitler. Like yeah. he went to he, was like, he went to Hitler's next. vacation home. Yeah. Bucket list. That's the weirdest. <laughs> that is the weirdest. I, I guess I feel like you know, like Jews will go on vacation, or they like they'll 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 go to they'll go to Auschwitz, or they'll go yeah. to Burka. I guess if you're a Nazi, that's like your version of that. Like oh. I should go see where it happened. It's my you know, like it's my responsibility. I should listen. If you're a Nazi, goose step your way out of here. Why okay, are you still, listening to this podcast? Like, this seems like... Still download. Still download and listen, because it's good for the numbers. But we don't like you. Listen, if there's one thing Nazis love, it's giving Jewish men stars. So go hey! to iTunes. Give us five of them. <laughs> we true. won't wear them on our sleeves, but uh, figuratively. And now, the news <laughs> with Lon. <laughs> All Jews must report to... No, I'm sorry, that's, oh, that's not the news. Bit. That's the news from from the, night, well, the yeah, early 40s. My mother's not listening to this episode. Yeah, jeez, this is an intent. My mom does listen to this. To oh, the show, very she good. Won't, she's not offended by Nazi humor. She doesn't care. Hello to Lon's mom. Her mom, my grandmother, my late grandmother, Sally, yes. I miss her very much. Uh, she was horribly offended by The Producers, that Mel Brooks movie, The Producers. Oh, yeah. like, she, she never got over... Springtime like, You're not... You're not allowed to make fun of Nazis. And she held on to that until her dying day that it was never okay to make jokes about Nazis. My uh, grandmother was horribly offended by surf Nazis must die. Yeah, the that Roma. We didn't even that. tell her about surf Nazis must die. She no, would have been horrified. I'm kidding, I don't think my grandmother <laughs> would have that. Well, I mean, we, got, uh, we have actual non-Nazi news, I promise. Uh, the mega-length Stranger Things season four dropped on us last week set a new record for the most hours streamed for any English language TV show in Netflix history. Oh, 286.7 million hours viewed oh, of that question. Stranger Things. Do you fire think away. Do you think that's why the Duffer Brothers made some of those episodes like an hour and a half? You're you're a genius. You got you guessed where I was going next. I was going to say we've got to bear in mind these episodes are very long. So this is people who finished all seven watched a lot more hours than people who watched Bridgerton season two. Mm -hmm. Bear that in mind. Bridgerton season two, previous record holder, that had been viewed for 193 million hours stream. So it probably works out about the same amount of households, Stranger Things just much longer. So I think that is a thing to keep in mind. Both shows still behind the number one most viewed of all time, still holds the record, Squid Game. It did not, Stranger Things has not surpassed Squid Game. So many people want to recapture the success of Squid Game. Did you hear uh, there is a show that is aping Squid Game that they're making called Octopus Follies? That's not going to work at all, I don't think. Follies, especially. I don't think I, I just, people I don't even know what I, follies are. I, just no, I know. I figured. Uh, also, good good to bear uh, another point, as long as we're talking about the massive popularity of Stranger Things. Yes. The use of Kate Bush's running up that hill, parentheses, a yeah. deal with God. Uh, the the lead track from her terrific album, Hounds of Love. If you all haven't listened to Hounds of Love, great 80s album. Yes. Uh, that has 
that song has massively exploded in popularity this week. It's the number one song on iTunes right now. Wow. I, I think presumably a new generation. If you're under 30, this might be the first time you ever heard that song. Damn. Uh, yeah. Uh, ethereal pop songstress Kate Bush. Right. Back, back in the public eye. She's got, I guess, this one and Wuthering Heights were like the two hits, but they're not, they're not in stuff a lot. They're not in commercials. Like, where would you have heard them? There was a lot. Right? People were being dicks on the internet. I saw a lot of like older pe people that were like, oh, I can't believe you guys haven't heard of Kate Bush before. And it's like, where the fuck would people hear about Kate Bush? Like, there's no more classic rock radio. Right. It's not like we teach kids about 20th century musical history. They don't True. learn it anywhere. If your parents didn't play you Kate Bush, you would never know she existed. I, although I don't con quite consider her classic rock. I think she's like early alt rock. Yeah, I mean, it was like new wave, 80s, yeah. that like era. She was, I would consider her like a precursor to Tori Amos. Sure. I'm just saying, where would you have heard of Kate Bush? Unless somebody specifically was like, you would like Kate Bush. Like, I know I first heard Kate Bush because the Decemberists used to do a cover of Weathering Heights. And I heard Ooh. that song and I was like, oh, this is a cover. I'm going to listen to the original. I've heard of Bush. I've heard of I've heard of the, the hard rock band Bush. Sure. Heard of, I've, I've heard of Bush's Baked Beans. Yeah. Thinking about those beans. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Kate Bush, right. welcome, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, so that seven episodes of Stranger Things season four up right now on Netflix, the final two coming at us in July. Moving on, uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Netflix plans to pump the brakes a bit on churning out quite so many big budget original films. They were like, wait a minute, huh. making 500 movies a year that no one watches is not actually helping us build this company, weird. Yeah, they're a little bit salty about the fact that they've taken so many bites at the Apple to win a GD Academy Award. And it has, yeah, it has not happened. Apple swooped in. Apple swoops in with Coda, snatches it. The mantra now, bigger, fewer, better. So they're bigger, still going- longer, uncut. Uncut. South so they're Park still, the yeah. They're still gonna make stuff like The Gray Man, that big spy thriller thing with Ryan Gosling. Knives yeah. Out 2, obviously, still coming. And yeah. they just made a $50 million deal for this Emily Blunt thriller, Pain Hustlers, where she becomes an opioid queen pin or what have you. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but fewer big vanity projects like The Irishman, gonna be fewer situations where they're just gonna turn over 200 million to a creator and let them do whatever, and the mid-budget films are going to start reining those in. More stuff that has a pre-built, passionate audience. Less just shots on goal, you know. Like le sure. less less random moonshots we're going to get from Netflix. I, I like that. I like that uh, sports parlance from you. Right? Did I did I do it right? Did I get yes. it right? Yeah, just like less less shots on goal, more high percentage. Exactly. Shots. That's yeah. what they're aiming for. They're mm -hmm. they're they're aiming for more. And, and you know, they, they've had, there are some very specific examples of things that have worked exceptionally well for Netflix that we don't talk about as much. People are so focused on the failures. But stuff like To All the Boys I've Loved Before mm -hmm. or The Kissing Booth, those aren't our meat and potatoes kind of stuff. But both of those were wildly successful original movies that spawned whole franchises. Ooh. And now the creators and stars are jumping over to do other projects. There are a lot of things like that on Netflix that they want to keep doing. There's just a lot of stuff. The Irishman seems to be coming up a lot, even though I think it's a really good movie. The Irishman is 
very good. And it's coming it, up a lot because it was so costly and it didn't really bring in as much in the revenue side and it didn't end up winning the big award. So it, at this yeah. point, it feels like a misfire. Yeah, like we make fun of the length of The Irishman a lot, but it, it's it's really well made. Uh, the and, and it's a different chapter. It does feel like a like a closing chapter for Scorsese in the mob genre. Uh, uh, literally, because you have this mobster uh, played by De Niro who is in his end-of-life planning. I think there's something uh, kind of lovely about that movie, and it's really well done, worth uh, checking out or revisiting. Having his Top Gun Maverick moment. He's like, he's, he's the it. Pete Maverick Mitchell of killing people and being sad. Uh, here's a little uh, uh, decoding for The Irishman. When they say, they say in the movie, uh, I heard you paint houses. They're literally talking about killing people and painting their, uh, the walls with their blood. No, I mean, yes, but he also was a house painter. That was like the cover. It's a little, it's a little of both. It's a little of both. A little of both. It's a little, he, he painted, he painted frescoes <laughs> in the Renaissance. I missed that part. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, no, great, great still life movie. painter. I, I, you know what? I take it all back. I dozed. I dozed. I don't. During... I don't remember the guys. What's the name of the guy? The the Frank Sheehan. Frank Sheehan. There you go. Yes, I knew oh, I'd get there. there. I didn't look that up, folks. I just remembered off the top of my head. Moving nicely on. done. Apple renewed Slow Horses through season four. That's a Giddy pickup, up, baby. Giddy up, Slow Horses. <laughs> Uh, all the, this entire show, all the seasons based on different books in author Mick Heron's Slough House series, not set in Slough, set in London, Slough. They call it Slough House because it's where the rejects go. It's like, you don't want to be in Slough House. That's where the, the spies who couldn't cut it in MI5. Boy, mate, you don't want to be in Slough House. That's exactly it. So and, and just to, just to give our, our listeners our, our, the lay of the land, MI5 is like the British FBI MI6 is like the British CIA. So James Bond, he's an MI6. He's he's off in foreign countries looking right. for terrorists. These are like more, they're domestic investigations, MI5. MIA but thinks paper planes. MIA, she, yeah, she, all she wants to do is gunshots and take your money. Ching. Uh, anyway, so this is about a group of MI5 agents. They, whatever, they screwed up. They're they're not invited to the main MI5 group. They don't get to play in the in the big sandbox. They've right. kind of been kicked out to this out of the way division to ride out their careers in this dumping ground department. And Gary Oldman stars as Jackson Lamb, the disgraced spy who leads this group. Uh, so we got season one. I thought season one was really terrific. Season two coming up later this year, and then it will have will have seasons three and four presumably starting in 2023. Oh, wow. They're cranking those things out like Avatar movies. Well, it's a British show, so each season is only six episodes. So you could really think of two seasons together would be like one season of U.S. TV. All right, then. Do slough it way. I feel like, that, like I've never been to Slough, England, the town, but right. it's both, it's the setting of the U.K. office... Oh. It's where it's where Wenham Hog or Wernham Hog is located. Yes, yes. And it's the name they came up for this department where nobody wants to be, like the out of the way shithole department. It's wow, like, must be a terrible place. 
they must, everybody from London just just really crapping on poor Slough. Yeah, just a, a dreary gray place with yeah. no nightlife, nothing redeeming. You know, like, like they're Scranton, like their version of our, our Scranton, yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, no, I don't mean Scranton, PA. I don't mean that. The electric, <laughs> the electric city. Listen, we love Scranton. Yeah, you're a, come on, Lon, didn't you grow I'm up? I'm a Pennsylvania the, guy, not that part there? of Pennsylvania. I've never been to Scranton. I was from the, you know, the, the cosmopolitan part of Pennsylvania where like cool, where smart people live. But um, yes, sure. I'm, I'm, ki- uh, I'm kidding. I'm, ki- I'm just kidding, folks. A quick PA question for you before we move on. I mean, I was 10 when we moved, so I don't know that much, but okay. Gotcha. Well, uh, have you ever, P- PA via California, Los Feliz, have you, have you ever tried booze cheesesteaks in Los Feliz? Oh, sure. Yes. I like booze. Booze is yeah. very good. It's a good cheesesteak. Uh, it's a good cheesesteak. There's PA two. Folks. There's two if you're in Los Angeles. There's also oh. one in Koreatown. I think they're both terrific. Very good. People always say the bread, and the bread is important. That That's the cliche. It's yeah. like the, the thing you have to nail is the roll. You got to get the roll right. But I also feel like it's the thickness of the steak. That's what I think a lot of California mm. places miss. They cut their steak too thick. And if the steak is cut too thick, it doesn't absorb all the onion and the grease yeah. and the cheese, all the all the other flavors of goodness in sandwich, your cheesesteak. A steak sandwich is not a cheesesteak, and a, a cheese steak, steak sandwich is not is necessarily not, a cheek stand, steak sandwich. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And if you go to Philly, as I like, the last time I was in Philly, only a few years ago, uh, when you go there and you have a cheesesteak, it's di- it's that that steak is really minced. I mean, it's it's Ooh. cut to shreds. And that's how it, it you know, it, 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 these little pieces of steak soak up all that onion, grease, and juice, and that's what makes it good. Ah, oh, that's good. That's my, that's my theory. That's my cheesesteak theory. And booze does a very good job. It's the perfect steak booze, booze consistency. Booze does a nice job out here. Um, very good steak consistency. I like it. Uh, there is also, there's a place uh, near Westwood on Westwood Boulevard called Philly West. Also okay. pretty good. Also pretty gotcha. good. Noted. A blog called Rest of World that looks at global patterns in streaming reported that Netflix's password sharing crackdown not going very well in its Ooh. beta phase. So Netflix is they're trying they're trying to limit password sharing and they're just starting in three markets so far, Peru, Chile, and Costa Rica. Now they started, I'm going to pull back the whole curtain on this for you motherfuckers. Do they're doing it in these three markets because this is where the uh cost of a Netflix subscription is the lowest, so the audience is the most sensitive to price shifts. So they Ooh. figure raising or lowering the price is gonna have a bigger impact in Costa Rica than it would in England or India or any of the other markets where Netflix operates. So that's why they're testing it there first. Right. Uh, not going well. The thing is they're they're so they're, they're gonna tie they're gonna tie your Netflix account to a location. That's how this is gonna work. You're, okay. When you sign up for Netflix, you're signing up your household. You can share with as many other people in your house as you want. If you want to share with anyone who doesn't live with you, that's $2 extra. And you can only add two people. So at most, you could have two people who don't live with you using your Netflix account. You're paying $4 extra a month. And remember, this is Peruvian soles or whatever, not U.S. dollars. And that's it. And then you're cut off. You can't share it with anybody else. The problem that they're finding is people are very confused by the messaging. So a lot of people are reporting they don't understand the instructions. They don't understand when they're allowed to share and with who. They don't understand how to sign up for a new account. It's very unclear. People are getting befuddled by the messaging. Uh, There's a lot of questions about, well, what if I move? Or what if we're roommates and one person moves? 
a lot that, that that are getting mixed up and what they're finding is that a lot of people are just dropping Netflix and signing up for a different streaming service rather than deal with this new system. Yeah, so Netflix is keeping track of, of the IPs that are uh, using uh, the, or the, the addresses. Exactly. They can tell when multiple locations are accessing. Now, this could lead to a lot of complications. I mean, if you're thinking about, well, what if a building is a dorm or how do they know you know, like apartments or sublets, or you could think of a million, you know, conditionals for all of these things that a, are going to yeah, be. Yeah, we have a net, one Netflix for an entire office or something. Right, exactly. So I, I feel like there's a lot to iron out, which is probably why they're doing this starting slow in just a few markets to see all of the various problems they're going to encounter. But the the, the big takeaway so far seems to be not an easy way to just make more money. When they when mm -hmm. they had their stock crisis, they were kind of saying, oh, but we'll crack down on password sharing and that's gonna be a huge revenue boost. And what we're now seeing is like, well, there's a lot of people who watch Netflix who aren't paying for it, that's true. But can mm -hmm. we actually convert them all into people with full Netflix accounts who pay? That part, maybe not. And Good will luck. We maybe, and will we maybe lose some people to HBO Max if we even try too hard? That seems to be the other question. Yeah, I mean, the the people that don't subscribe and who want to surf on, on someone else's password, they might not be financially available to right. do such, to make such a move, you know? Yes, you also so, might be boosting piracy, all sorts of other unintended consequences if you start knocking a lot of people who are used to having Netflix off Netflix. We don't know. Uh, so, so far, we're just seeing results from... Peru, Chile, Costa Rica, too early to read too much into them, but some some problems out of the gate. Also, why do they got to rake havoc on the fine people of Central and South well, America? Well, because it's, oh, <laughs> I mean, them specifically, it's because they, they're paying less for Netflix than we are. Most countries are. India, also, you pay a lot less for Netflix, and they have a mobile, this I think is fascinating. In India, the most popular Netflix plan is just for your phone. So you can't watch Netflix on your Ooh. TV or your computer, but you've got a super cheap plan and you can watch shows on your phone. Because mobile uh, the, only viewing is a lot more popular in India than it is in the US. The way so much content was meant to be viewed. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna talk about a terrific Indian film later in the show that please don't watch on your phone, at least a television, if you can. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a device snob. What a shame like to watch RRR will, on a phone. I will not be a device snob like oh, my friend man. Juan Harris. I will Jeez. say, you know what? Watch it on your Apple Watch. But, uh, whatever you want. Don't watch tell David on your, Lynch. Watch it on your Apple Watch, like a little secret agent. Moses Ingram who plays Reva the Inquisitor Moses on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Moses Ingram, the actress, she plays Reva the Inquisitor. You know, she's the she's the big baddie. She's she's the yes. main villain on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Other than the other very iconic villain, we don't need to get into spoilers. Uh, she reported on Instagram this week that she's been receiving a torrent of racist hate from oh, Star course, Wars fans. People uh, suck. People suck. Of course, this you mirrors similar I, experiences. John Boyega... Yes, Kelly, Kelly Marie, Marie Tran. Tran. Let me just say, if if you're sending hate messages to Moses Ingram or Kelly Marie Tran or John Boyega, same message uh, that I gave to the Nazis at the top of the show. Screw you. But please yeah. keep listening. The downloads and listens help. Yeah, give us five stars, but then don't listen. That's what we would say. Uh, uh, so yeah. it, 
Lucasfilm executives even warned her in advance that this was coming, but it, 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 it how could you prepare for something like this? People never, they never cease to disappoint. So the official Star Wars Twitter account, uh, Obi-Wan star Ewan McGregor, many others. I saw even Anson Mount, who's on Star Trek, not even Star Wars. Uh, he crossed franchises to offer oh. words of support. Uh, basically just asking people to stop being so uh, goddamn racist Shitty. every time. Yeah. I saw I saw one tweet that I think made an interesting point. I'm not sure if I agree or not. It's an in, it's, it's I bring it up purely because I think it's interesting. They were saying the only way to purge Star Wars of this element would be to go even much further. And so not just inclusion, including black characters, Asian characters, but we've got to like, they've got to be front and center in every film. They've got to be, you know, interracial relationships. We've got to have every, you know, like radical inclusion would, would communicate to these people. Your time is over. This is what Star Wars is now. I, I feel like... I don't know if that, I, I, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm all for it. Let's do it. I just, I still don't even know if that would work. I, the I mean, cynical so, part of me so feels like. So what would like, that do? Just, um, just make it completely anti what racist shitbirds would. I think their point is that Star Wars is still in some ways, and I agree with this, that Lucasfilm is trying to kind of play it both ways. They're, they are, they are bringing in more diverse actors to the series. But right. you get a lot of like the Kelly Marie Tran situation where she gets introduced to one movie, the fans don't really like it, and then they massively scale her part back in the next movie. And I think what this person who, I wish I remembered who tweeted it or what specifically they said, uh, it was good. The, I think their point that I, that I would sort of second would be uh, they need to they need to not listen when there's backlash. They need to go even harder. So Kelly Marie Tran stars in Rise of Skywalker. She gets to go on. Rose Tico gets to be on that mission. And you yes. don't ca cave to the fans who don't like it. Well, Rise of Skywalker, I, I thought one of the reasons why that film was a mess was all of the revisionist history they right. tried well, to and, do. And, and the same thing, like they backed off making John Boyega's character Finn a Jedi, even though Force Awakens seemed to tease that he was Force sensitive. And it's like, again, don't back off of that. Go for that. He's the Jedi, the main Jedi that we meet other than Rey in this series. And then they end up together at the end of the movies. Like if it was that Star Wars world, that would maybe even more clearly communicate to racists this is no longer your franchise than you and McGregor saying, hey, stop being so racist, you racists. <laughs> that was a sweet message from you and McGregor. Yeah, uh, it, it was more Scottish. I don't, I, I'm, I'm bad at a Scottish accent, but you and McGregor, have been, it would have been more, more, more of a brogue. It, yeah, that, it, listen, the accents are tough. Yeah, what, what are you gonna do? What do you get? Fandom is toxic. Cause you get people saying, oh, you ruined my childhood. And then it's a, it's, it's a short, drive around the corner to uh oh you're 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 shoehorning this in you're forcing this in like oh my god like so if it was the you know and if it was the same actor but dressed as an alien they wouldn't have a problem just because it's a woman of color uh and and like why like what is your fucking problem the like how many why does every like bad guy have to be either a white guy or an alien uh, uh, but and they didn't have that problem with Giancarlo, Stan, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Esposito, Giancarlo Esposito, Giancarlo Stan is basically, uh, Giancarlo Esposito in, um, uh, Mandalorian. Uh, Mandalorian. It's, it, it, it's frustrating. Uh, women of color are 
so disrespected in our society. And it sucks that uh, this woman who's doing a great job, she's um, excellent in the show. If we had one of the Sex in the City, like, you know, Che's podcast, she had that that woke moment button. Yeah, I, I would I would hit that right now. Woke moment. Yeah, that 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 that's the like one of the first times on our show. I feel like we've legitimately had a Che Diaz would hit her woke moment button. If uh, if if saying that being racist sucks uh, makes you woke, pin 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 the tail on. Yeah, me. I mean we're both definitely uh, we both have the woke mind virus for sure. But uh, both infected. I, I it's hope it's a hopeless case. Get woke, go broke, man. Well, that explains it. That's, <laughs> I guess that's where I went wrong. Uh, we should, while we're talking about Star Wars, this was already a week old, so I didn't want to make it a main news story, but there was a lot of Star Wars celebration news that we missed oh, uh, yeah, because big, I skipped uh, last week. Uh, so just so we mentioned it, then we got we got to look at Willow, which I'm really excited about, that new Willow series. Uh, we got to look at Andor, the Cassian Andor Rogue One spinoff that's going to be uh, coming out soon. That's got to uh, be a heard, prequel, right? That it's a prequel to Rogue One because he, yeah. you know, he, the end of Rogue yeah. One, he we we lose Captain Cassian Andor. So yeah. this is covering everything from his childhood, his experiences in the early rebellion, and then there's going to be two seasons of Andor. Season two of Andor dovetails neatly into Rogue One. So we're going to really follow Ooh. that guy's the entire life of uh, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor. Uh, we also heard about Skeleton Crew. That is a show about a bunch of. Uh, lost kids who have to find their way home in the Star Wars universe, and there is an adult role played by Jude Law. We don't know gotcha. that much about it yet. Uh, the people who attended got to see a little taste of Mando season three, but it has not leaked online yet. And they brought out poor old Harrison Ford, and John Williams came out to wave hello at the audience uh, to promote Indiana Jones 5. Oh, there you go, there you go. Poor old Harrison Ford. Let, oh, let, man. Leave him alone. Let him go smoke his weed. and Just uh, glad to be there to talk about anything other than Star Wars, though. Visible <laughs> relief to not have to talk about Star Wars. Uh, Hal, uh, we are recording this on June 1st. Tomorrow, yes, June, June 2nd, okay. is the 20th anniversary of HBO's The Wire. The Ooh, Wire debuted on yes. June 2nd, 2002, often considered one of the great... TV shows. If you ever see a list of the greatest TV shows of all time, if they don't have The Wire in the top ten, there's going to be one of the first comments would be like, what about The Wire? You know, it's like that kind of a show. Fantastic show. I love Great that. show. I love that show. Uh, if you're a fan, as I am today in the New York Times, I highly recommend they have a great interview with co-creators David Simon and Ed Burns, looking back on the origins of the show, the making of the show, their perspectives on it looking back, and they tie it in because they both... Uh, I not, maybe not Ed Burton. No, I think they did. I think they both worked on We Own This City, yeah. the new HBO Max series. As well as that Nick is kind Pelicanos. Of, uh, George Pelicanos. George Pelicanos. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, We Own This City just wrapped up this week as well. Uh, another terrific show. Oh, uh, yeah. We Own This City. Uh, absolutely worth watching. And, you know, as you go along, <clears throat> more Wire alum pop up. Oh, sure. Wow. I, I also think it's it's interesting. Obviously, The Wire, fictional, like it, it's based on uh, Burns and Simon, both former journalists. It's based on their hands-on experience reporting on crime in Baltimore. But, the you know, like Anton Barksdale wasn't a real guy. Like it's, right. it's a fictionalized world. Whereas We Own This City, 
real, like a true story based on real reporting. All those were real people. So it's different. But I do think it's also interesting to look at both shows. They are kind of like moments in time, 20 years apart, and a study of how much worse everything is. Like, The Wire was already so bleak, but there was some hope. And the, the cops on some level were still able to feel like they were doing, they, they were making a, a kind of difference. It, it maybe was not ultimately things are going to work out in the end, but there was, you could make a, you could take a step forward. McNulty didn't feel like everything he did was just running into a brick wall, at yeah. least during maybe season one, the earlier episodes, maybe. And, and we own this city. You just, it, it's the feeling that the whole concept of what the police are doing, the whole system is flawed so deeply that it, 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 it's hopeless to even really think about immediate reforms. You're just moving things around. You'd have to overhaul the whole thing, the whole drug war concept. Absolutely. Uh, and The Wire, there were definitely bad cops portrayed in The Wire. But right, it, it's not a, a, a hopelessly broken system. Yeah, the, the true story is bleaker than the fiction, as you're saying. And, uh, well, it's but, 20 years later. I saw David yeah. Simon talk about this on Twitter and somebody was like, the Wire was copaganda, but We Own This City makes up for it. And he was like, no, it's like, they're both pretty honest. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with David Simon. Just here's what he was saying. Mm -hmm. He's saying they're both pretty honest. It's just things have gotten a lot worse. And it's a lot harder to be even a halfway decent cop today than it was even 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, I think there probably is some truth to that. Yeah. John Bernthal is particularly good as uh, um, a cop, Wayne Jenkins. Uh, this cop that you love to hate. Because he's real. I don't know. It's, a, oh, but it's, it's weird a, to but love it, to a, hate a real guy. <laughs> I think we usually say that about, like, delicious villains, oh, not, like, yeah. real-life racist thugs. Is so good. Like, he's great. He's it's great. It's one of the best John Bernthal performances. And he, he's, he's great in a lot of stuff. I, I really liked him in King Richard. But I thought he was just particularly compelling because the way he's going about his business in this show, he's got such swagger and uh, he like that. He makes it the whole show that much more compelling. And uh, yeah, but it's it. But it's also vexing. He's a don't get me wrong. He's he plays an absolute, utter, just unredeemable character. He's a horrific you just, person. You just lo Hal just loves to hate the cops. I love to hate this. He's guy. in a love affair with the cops. But, but uh, I've hate. got a love-hate relationship with them. <laughs> he He's like Kendall Jenner. He'll go to the police barricade, hand them a Pepsi, but then snatch it right back. Sorry. <laughs> Hope you weren't thirsty. I do want to also put out, before we uh, leave The Wire as a topic, HBO also announced an eight-episode The Wire podcast Ooh. to be hosted by former cast member slash hip-hop great Method Man. Oh, amazing. Love Method Man. Mr. And, Math. uh... Yeah, he, he portrayed Cheese. He did. On The Wire. Yeah. Uh, very cool, very cool. Method Man nowadays uh, looking um, very, very jacked. He's been, yeah, he got, he's always he got, in the gym. Yeah, he got big. You know, well, well what else is he doing? He, he, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't. He can do whatever he wants every day for the rest of his life. He's Method Man. He's, he's, he's got nothing left to prove. He writes his own ticket. Yeah, he's been a method man. I don't know. I don't have to do anything. I just oh. like, I feel like working out today. Today's leg day. I'm method man. That's the what world he, is his. The world who's is gonna his. Who's going to say shit? Who's going to say shit? 
During a discussion with Slash Film, actor John DiMaggio revealed that he didn't actually receive any extra money to provide the voice of Bender for the Futurama reboot. He signed back on anyway because he, he wanted to be part of it. He felt bad for the fans. He felt left out. He said, ultimately, the decision came down to, do I want to be in the house with the family having a nice Thanksgiving dinner or stand outside in the freezing rain watching everyone else eat? I think it's a disappointing result, but I think you can understand why he wouldn't want to be the only cast member who doesn't come back. He also did yeah. tell Slashfilm there was a whole plan. They were not going to... Basically, what it came down to is Disney Hulu just said no. They were not going to pay him more money. In fact, they were willing to bring in guest actors every week to be the voice of Bender. They were just going to replace him with a rotating group of guest stars. So there was already wow. a post-DiMaggio plan. They basically called his bluff, and he just signed back on for the same rate as everyone else. There you go. There you go. I mean, I'm glad because the, the fans, it, it would have hamstrung the Futurama reboot from the start. I really don't think it. I, I mean, obviously you make a joke about it or something. They would figure out a way to, to, to explain it, but I don't really think it would work. I, I the, the Billy West, John DiMaggio dynamic is such a big part of that show. Yeah. To me, I kind of don't know how you work around that. And just as a diehard fan, knowing that uh, they they really screwed over one of yeah, uh, I don't I don't like this. This uh, this honestly puts a bad taste in my mouth. I really don't know if I'm even gonna bother with the Futurama reboot. As much as I enjoy the original series Futurama, I just feel like like they're Disney. That for Disney to get cheap on on an actor. Yeah who made this character iconic. I mean, uh -huh. I don't think there's any argument that John DiMaggio, a huge part of why Bender is so popular. Yeah, his, his, it's his voice, it's his, his performance, attitude, exactly. it's his mannerisms, yes. It's a good design, 100%. it's a funny character, it's well written, but come on, he is Bender. And yep. uh, it really it really does bother me. I, they couldn't come up with a few extra Disney playing bucks to ball. put in John DiMaggio, one of our great voice actors. Yep. Amazon's upcoming thriller series, The Power, is going to basically start all over with a new cast. They shot some stuff, but they can't keep it now because Leslie Mann and Tim Robbins both exiting the project. Leslie Mann had signed on pre-COVID in 2019. Tim Robbins was replacing Rain Wilson. Uh, he came on board in January 2021. Oh. But now they're both walking out, so they're going to have to start all over from scratch with new actors. The show is based on a 2016 novel by Naomi Alderman, the, the pitch is it's set in a world where women over time develop the innate ability to electrocute other people at will. So oh. if you're an adult woman, you can just zap a stranger to death at, at any time you want. Uh, what would the consequences be? Let's think about it in the show The Power. This is not a reboot of Power on Stars. No, that's not about women being able to zap you to death. Well, That's oh, what's about that drug about? dealers. Oh, okay, but uh, drug drug dealers who can electrocute you if you no. try to literally screw them just over. they're they're just drug dealers. You're they're short just, on the count. They're just a bunch. Zap. They're just a bunch of drug dealers. Oh, I've never seen an episode. It's well, okay. I, I'm saying there's, but it's centered on what? It's James Ghost St. Patrick. Mm -hmm. it, it, he he is the main drug dealer. There are right. just many other drug dealers in his circle, including Kanan, uh, played by 50 Cent, also produced the show. Gotcha. And so this has nothing to do with uh, this other show. Leslie Mann would not be playing. No. 
50 cents character. Kanan. Kate. Kate. Kate and Leopold. Kate and Leopold. <laughs> it's, based on, it's based on 50 cents, Kate and Leopold. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> the power. You know, so all the women can electric. They have the power of electrocution. Yes, that's that is the premise of the Amazon thriller. So series, could I be power. like, uh, hey, lady, charge my iPhone for me? I mean, if you want to get electrocuted, I think that would be. I don't. But I don't know. Just hold it in her palm and just no, be like, all right, I, I'll, I mean, go, I'll go. It I'll doesn't go say. Speed. It doesn't say the novel is about women who have electrical superpowers. It says they have the ability to electrocute other people, which means we believe that's all they can do. Well, but what about is this scenario going to happen? All right, is before you say it. Yeah. Is this a is this a is this a funny scenario? No, it's a real world scenario. All right. All right. Well, I'm a little disappointed, but but say it anyway. Hey, ma. I think my battery's dead. Can you come down and jump my car? So it's the same. Oh, it's just, yes. Yeah. Okay. Of course, I'll be right there. And and then uh, you pop the hood. Mom it's interesting touches. that this is a very elderly mother with a very young son. I'm curious. I, I feel like he's more old than the drive. He's old enough more to than drive. the car battery. I almost want to investigate what's going on with these two. The, he's old enough to drive. Why so. does he have Terry Jones from Monty Python as his mother? Oh, <laughs> Let me use my electric <laughs> powers to jump Hello. out your vehicle. Hello, Mrs. Harris. All right, I'll see you when I get home he's, from work. He's from Queens, and she's from Surrey. I know, this is a very confusing Slough. dynamic. She's from Slough House. Uh, anyway, that's a show, maybe. We'll see if it ever fucking happens. At this point, maybe not, honestly. Well, and, and it's called The Power? The Power. You know, because it, they, they're, they're electrically charged, but it's also a, it's a power. You know, it's a <laughs> you know what I would now. change the name to? Electric Ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also... Also, your favorite uh, late night hangout here in Los Angeles. If don't go, worry about it, pal. Just don't listen, worry about it. Just go to Van Nuys uh, after midnight, head to Electric Ladies, and tell them how Rudnick sent you. Yeah, make sure you bring a lot of ones. Bring a lot of ones. <laughs> bring a lot of 50 cent pieces. Anyway, last news story hey. Bo Bird, don't throw those at strippers. That's it. No, nice. no, no. Bo Burnham released a full hour of material shot for his 2021 Netflix special Inside that didn't make it into the actual special. It's now free on his YouTube channel. Inside, of course, won three Creative Arts Emmys last year, uh, frequently referred to as one of our best pieces of pandemic, quarantine-inspired art. How, how, what do you think? Are you going to watch an hour of extra Inside bonus material? I, I definitely enjoyed Inside, and it definitely came at the right point. Um, I would watch if there was a, a clip from the hour of bonus material that got shared. Like I almost there, clicked there on are one several. today. There are several. But, yeah, like I almost clicked on something that was about like it was him making fun of Joe Rogan, and I think Joe Rogan. I think it's Joe Biden of- instead of Joe Rogan. Ah, there's a song about Joe Biden that's making the rounds out there. I haven't seen. There might be a Rogan I clip saw, as well. You know, easily. Listen, I'm easily confused. But uh, I, th- I thought I saw like him. He was making fun of uh, Joe Rogan. But Maybe. either way, I might click on like a clickbaity article about one of the things because that's how I watch. Like that's how I watch Saturday Night Live sometimes. Well, you love click clickbait. The- you do love clickbait. I do love clickbait as well. I do. Just you know trick what? me into clicking on stuff. I love it. I can't get enough. Here's the thing about clickbait, Lon. They say, "Wait till you see how she looks now," and the one that got you to click on it. 
they save her till the end. So it's like, click, click, click. Where the heck is the one I wanted to see? You know what? It sounds now like you hate clickbait, the opposite of, of our premise here. Just like the cops, I got a love-hate relation. <laughs> oh, my God. Very confusing. All right. Uh, I uh, I don't care. I'm just going to come out and say, like, I, and it's yeah. not that I didn't think Inside was good. I don't think Bo Bird, I think he's very talented. I think I was particularly impressed by Inside with how he made it. Like, he was performing it, and yes. he was directing it, and he was doing the light show, and it was all in one. And I think, like, technically, it's very hard to do that, and I, I respect it. But uh, I just, I don't, I don't care. I don't need to see anymore. I get it. We were all sad about being inside yes, and, and, and lonely. And, mm -hmm. and I remember, and you, you, congr you did it. I, I've, I've moved on. I don't, I don't feel the need to revisit this ever again. Yeah. Also, I feel like, you know, I, I agree with you. I thought there was a, several clever songs, a couple of very, very funny songs. And the visual ballet of him operating all of the recording device and the lights and everything. Wait, how did you watch a ballet? Because this was a comedy special. I I just call any physical movement. Uh, oh, okay. I know. Yeah. You're. I know. I just. I do know that uh, one time you watched Swan Lake instead of our film that week, and it took us a long time to figure it out. I worked my way through it though. You were just like, why was it all Russian women? And then at the end, one of them fell off a cliff. I don't understand. I was like, don't, how that's, you watch Swan Lake. Yeah. And we were, we were supposed to watch the lake. Yeah. But Bo Burnham, I feel <laughs> one thing that has, you know, I, I feel like it's had not collapsed under the scrutiny, but as we get further away from it, yeah, it's a, it, it is like a time capsule of that time that we are emerging from and have been for a while. Also, you just think about like, oh yeah, Bo Burnham, like I'd watch more of inside footage if it was him deconstructing what his life really was like. He wasn't sleeping in that room every day for six yeah, months no, by had a, himself. Yeah, no, he had a whole house next whole to that. Whole house. Yeah. He, uh, he's got a very successful partner. He was yeah. doing press for Promising Young Woman. Uh, so, uh, like, I, I would like a little bit of the outside world breaking into inside. That's That would be interesting to me. It's a remnant from, it's not just pandemic, it's not just quarantine, it's the early, the early part when we were all more aligned with the idea of shared responsibility and like, it doesn't really reflect where we ended up. That, that's kind of why I feel like, I feel like it's this relic of a lost time because now, you know, half of it would just be like, go outside, pussy. Why are you waiting? You don't need to be inside. There's, yeah. there's, there's a, get, get out there. You're, this is cruel to children. This was pre-vaccine. Trump was still president. Yeah, this was, yeah. this was, we were all like, we have, we literally have to stay inside or everybody's grandmother dies. And it's just like the world changed so much in such a terrible way after this, where we realized how little we really value one another's lives. It just, I find it hard to reconnect to that early pandemic mindset at this point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's a product of a of a bygone of a era. Bygone era, and, that, and that, that is it. Speaking of bygone eras, the news is over. Thanks, Lon. Uh, coming up, ooh, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus dropped, and we've watched the first three episodes, and we'll chit chat. Mm -hmm. 
Lon, there's a disturbance in the force. Oh, thanks, John Lennon. That's a good uh, heads up to get. Oh, I appreciate that. a disturbance that. in the force, you say? <laughs> Lads, we need four new songs about a disturbance in the force by Thursday. All right. We've got to record a new album. It's called A Disturbance in the Force. We'll do it, and then we'll perform it on on top of the Death Star. All right, fellas, here's what I want you to picture. You're singing a song, and you're in front of 800,000 Arabs. You're in the desert. There's Arabs absolutely the of, everywhere. Is it the desert of Tatooine? <laughs> you're on the desert of Tatooine. You're surrounded by Arabs. And scene, and scene. That's, that word oh, Michael Lindsay Hogg. Yes. But also on Disney Plus, you could go straight from Obi Wan to uh, the Beatles Get Back if you wanted to. You could. So Obi Wan Kenobi uh, has dropped. There are three episodes available at the time of our speaking. We spoke of it earlier. Moses Ingram uh, receiving some unfavorable attention from idiots out there. But uh, yeah, the the Obi Wan Kenobi show. I feel like it's uh, it's got a nice vibe that is reminiscent of several pieces of the films. One thing that I really loved Lon, like I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a prequels fan, but the way they've used the prequels and the way they've uh, edited together the, the sequences from the early movies, especially right at the top of the series. So your, your favorite part of the Obi-Wan series is the, the uh, prequel catch up from the beginning I of episode feel one. like, They've rescued the prequels a little bit. Like, oh, I don't know. I mean, they 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 took out a lot of the the zany comedy. They the, that 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 recap focused on the the storyline like and the epic that moments. And had never seen the prequels, I would be like, oh, those prequels look like bangers. But did you watch any of the show? Oh no. Okay. Just kidding. So I've watched watch, all yeah. three. Episodes. I've all watched right. all three. Should we talk about the show? <laughs> I, I feel like that's worth mentioning. The best part of the Obi-Wan show, good that, that opening recap, they nailed it. Congratulations to the editor of the, like previously, the previously on Star Wars. You nailed it. I like the show. I don't love the show. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you the thing that I don't like most. That's young Princess Leia. Oh, how dare you? She's a delight. Uh, she's way too precocious. That's she's, exactly what Princess Leia would. That's precocious. Is that's the Princess Leia character trait? That's that's her one it character is. trait. She, she's like you, scruffy looking nerf herder. Exactly. What what else is she gonna act like as a little girl? Of course, she'd be a bossy, chatty little girl. Come on. She needs to. You know what? She needs to zip the lip. Oh my god! This this is this is taking a dark turn. This, this, I don't know. Like she's this, like this review. I can't. We're off on the wrong foot here, man. I can't. I can't believe. I think her her performance is one of the highlights. She's that's, too wise. That's exactly what Princess Leia is like. She's a perfect young Carrie Fisher character. Like that's exactly the sass that you'd expect from a young Leia. Okay, you yeah, know. Come on, get out. I, I feel like sass. With this you, you know, you acquire it with age. Uh, uh, someone's not hanging out with a with a lot of ten year old girls. Clearly, that's me. Yeah, not and me. I mean, why would we? But you know, they they, they okay, can be quite sad because that's not what it just seemed like with that statement, Lon. Yeah, no, I'm saying neither of us. But if we were, I mean, you can imagine. <laughs> I would rather not imagine that. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, I, I really like the show. I think it's... The knock on it is that it's very similar to Mando, but I think that is its greatest strength. It's it's simple. It's not... And this is a theme that will come up in, a, in at least one other time today on today's show. But it's not trying to outsmart us. It's not trying to be 18 things at once. It's not trying to be a totally new way to look at the Star Wars, whatever, or a reinterpretation or a reimagining. It's just like, here's here's the kind of story that we can tell well in this setting without messing everything up too much within our overarching narrative. And it's funny and it's exciting. And I think it's it's exactly what I want these shows to be. It's not it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It is just another Mandalorian. The the older Jedi or the older fighter has to help the younger person, and it's like a rescue mission that brings up elements from their past that makes them confront their sense of identity itself. I mean, like it's just good classic Star Wars storytelling, and I think it works uh, it works really well on that level. Yeah, I agree uh, on several points you made uh in, in as much as yeah well, this, i'm very uh, smart so that makes well, sense th- this uh th- yeah this uh elder uh yeah guy is has to shepherd this child it's like the lone wolf and cub story the shane story the logan story and then it is also the mando story and now it is basically the only one story but it's a fucking good story folks yeah yeah uh, you know you might as well Echo or Ape, what worked because, uh, you know, Boba Fett did not work. Exactly. And that, I mean, to me, that's the counterpoint of like, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to do Boba Fett story, but we're also going to do this crime story, but we're also going to do these flashbacks. We're going to show them on this spirit quest and we're going to expand Tatooine and we're going to layer in Mando season three. And it's like, it's trying to serve 18 things at once and it doesn't end up doing any of them well. Whereas, this feels like it's not the most ambitious thing ever. Like this is coming in and it's like, all right, it's going to be another riff on a lot of these same ideas. And I mean, Logan, especially, I think you could see a lot of the, the seeds there of like the broken down older guy who can't really fight as well anymore, but then he becomes sort of connected to and inspired by this like young person who mirrors things about himself, you know, and it's face down his old demons or whatever. It's just, it's just that kind of storytelling. But Really, I think well done with a really good cast. I liked Kumail and his uh, yeah, role. Yeah, he had a fun bit there. And and uh, yeah, I think Flea popped up, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I think in episode three, it's a really cool lightsaber battle that also feels indebted to the Star Wars, like where it's storytelling while they're having the lightsaber battle and it's moving the relationship forward. I think they're I think they're kind of nailing it so far to be honest. It's pretty fun. Uh and Ewan McGregor, he's like a, such a flawed hero because, you know, Obi-Wan is not this dominant like boss ass fighter. He is not like this uh like he's a Jedi, but he's doesn't have the power of of Luke or even Ray, you know? So it's fun to, like, it's fun and it's compelling to see this flawed character. Whereas Mandalorian, like, uh, Mando could wreck shop wherever he goes. But Obi-Wan, it's it's interesting to see what this character's journey has become, where it has taken him. And one other interesting thing about this, you get to see some glimpses of, like, other just parts of the Star Wars universe uh, universe, like different like cities and places they go to. It's always weird to me when 
the color palette really changes because you have like the you have the deserts and like the the jedis and then you have like the forests and then you have the stark gray black silver walls yeah. of, you know cuz uh, you know like how you know how planets are how they only have one uh, environment but each. you did but you they very rarely if ever in the movies show like different color palettes but then all of a sudden we're uh, like in a busy city that has the color palette of like freaking uh like Los Angeles in Blade Runner uh, all of, and I'm like oh where is the I don't know it's just it's just interesting to me. And then the in Boba Fett, I, I the, this has been talked about ad nauseum. But though the the scooter gang, the scooter gang oh, that had those we, dumb looking. I, I get it. We don't like the Vespas. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the color palette of the Vespas was a it was a very weird, ob- deliberate choice that not everybody liked. I I know. Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> so far, no, I, so far. I, I guess I agree with it. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, Obi Wan it's still doing the Star Wars thing of we're on a limited number of worlds where I don't I don't know. I didn't really see it as exploding the color palette more than like any other sort of Star Wars show, but but you know, it's there. That it is. That it is. All right, we'll move uh, on. Obi-Wan, available on Disney+. Plus. Three episodes up at the time of this one. No Vespas, not a single Vespa. We uh, Let's move our attention over to Netflix, and we watched an international film, specifically a Tollywood film, not yes, Bollywood. Yes, Telugu. Don't get, don't get it. A lot of people I saw referring to this as a Bollywood film. It's a, it's a Telugu language film, so, so it's and, Tollywood. Um, and colloquially, it's referred to as Tollywood, which refers to the filmmaking of southern India. So uh, this is uh, an Indian film, and it is a just a wild three-hour journey. R-R-R. <laughs> Despite uh, the name Tollywood, it's still the tropes and the genre that you would think of as similar to Bollywood. So it's a long film. There's a lot of outrageous over-the-top action, but there are also big dance numbers and musical scenes and songs. Uh, So a a lot of the tropes that you would think of from Indian cinema is still true, even though we're differentiating, uh, you know, stuff that's made in Hyderabad as opposed to uh, Bombay or Mumbai. So yes, absolutely. reminiscent of what you might imagine a Bollywood film to be, even though it's not technically a Bollywood film. It's also, I mean, fascinating in in this, we're going to talk about Top Gun. Uh, a lot of the conversation about that has surrounded, like, it's is it military propaganda? Is it okay to watch Top Gun, even though it's about the U.S. Navy and what a bunch of maverick badasses they are and how cool their jets are? And I think RRR not getting the same discussion, even though it's about, it is like basically a superhero movie about two real life historical revolutionaries. Now we're, we're sort of on their side. Like uh, they were revolutionaries who were overthrowing the British colonial government in India. Right. So it's not like we wouldn't normally consider these, these are heroic figures in modern day India. It's just fascinating. Like how, you know, it, it, still very political in its own way. It's mm-hmm. just so 
freewheeling and over the top and silly and fun that we don't think of it that way. Oh, and the film definitely has an agenda, but I feel like it's on the right side of history when it comes to. Uh, well, it's an, yeah, it's an anti-colonial, uh, you know, Indian nationalist sort of. Uh, right. Agenda. Whereas, you know, you, you mentioned Top Gun, you know, people will bang on Top Gun for being jingoistic and, you know, Top Gun responsible, the original, for an uptick in getting people to enlist in the military. So if people have trouble with uh, just the very notion of America as the world policeman, Team America World Police, then you're, they're going to have issue with Top Gun. But being anti-colonialism is... I just think it's interesting that it, it this, it, this would be the equivalent... It feels to us just like a superhero movie in this country because we're not familiar with these historical figures. But the version, this would be like a an Avengers movie starring Thomas Jefferson and, and Alexander Hamilton. I was thinking about it. Um, I would compare it slightly, even though uh, one is fictional and one is based on true people. Django Unchained. Well, but again, not real people. But based on um, a, a very real horrors faced uh, in this country. Sure. And this is also, we should add, none of this, none of RRR the movie is based on real history. These two guys probably never even met. This right. is all just an imagined, what if they had met up and had adventures early in their life before their famous deeds. It also has a little bit of the, uh, yeah, it does have a little bit of that, I'm going to right the wrongs of history through my films of Quentin Tarantino and Inglorious Bastards. Sure, as well. and I mean, it, it is so, it's not realism. Like, we're talking about it like it's about history, but it's ridiculous. I mean, there- It is ridiculous, but it is also about history. He throws there, a cheetah at a guy. He he picks up a motorcycle and uses it as a weapon in one scene. Oh, no, this, this film will go from, oh, this is a real harsh moment, like a, a moment that makes you cringe and, and a moment that um, makes you upset about the way indigenous people of India were treated by uh, the British army. And then all of a sudden, yeah, a guy will throw it's a It's a very rousing, crowd-pleasing yeah. kind of action adventure film. I mean, I, I feel like we're describing it and making it sound serious, and it's it's not. It's a fun movie. It's a really, like, crowd-pleasing, like, rousing. Like, I feel like this would be a lot of fun to see in, a, in an amped-up theater full of people. It's also one of the year's best action films. I mean, the action sequences themselves are amazing, and even the dance sequences are shot with the energy, like... I feel like this would be, imagine a dance sequence, but Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie are bringing the same seriousness of purpose that they bring to a Mission Impossible action scene to the dancing. Like, we got to yeah. make the dancing look friggin' amazing. And uh, there are several moments when the dancing is really nicely worked into the plot and the flow of the film, and it's not like a departure, like, oh, let's break the reality. You sort of break the reality, but it's done in the flow of, the plot of the film. I mean, the, guy, the one time where it it, it, it it gets musical is the guy is like about to be executed and he starts singing a rousing number to yeah. himself. That's a little bit of like a musical, like I'm just true, gonna have true. an aside. But they have a little bit of a dance off at this party, um, which is really fun. Yeah, the da that's the big, you've seen a lot of clips. If you've seen any clips of this movie of people dancing online, you've probably seen from that big party sequence where they do the suspender dance and all that stuff. Uh, it's great. It's a lot of fun. That's, it is. That's but the thing I'd like to stress the most is it's charming and fun. It is, 
but also I, I, I don't want to downplay the uh, the message about colonialism and about the like Indian people. What is the message about colonialism? What's that? Isn't it just like it's bad? It's the film is literally all about it. No, I know, but I'm saying to me, it's not really a message. We're like the like in the same way that in the Patriot, like the British Army or the bad guys. And Jason Isaacs is that very over the top sneering evil red coat general or whatever, but it's not, the movie's not really about like British colonialism. It's really uh, a, a rousing action film and they're a good villain for an action film. And I feel like the same way, like Alison Doody and Ray Stevenson are like the big evil British people in this. And it's really just, they're fun foils for these guys. You know, They are, but just, you know the acts, the the be uh, the behavior of uh, the British, the way the uh, Indian populace is treated. Uh, it's uh, it if you were coming in without any history, it would it lets you know. Oh, here's what life was like uh, under British colonial rule and how callous they were. Uh, I you mean, know, it's very. You know, it's not like. Gandhi. Yeah, it's We're not talking Ben Kingsley and it's Gandhi. It's almost here, like a obviously. fantasy movie. It really. is like a fantasy movie, but there are moments that are based in reality where they show the stark horrors of British colonialism. Sure. I mean, nobody is defending British colonialism. I just feel like it sounds I, like, and it sounds like you were raising the Union Jack. No, it just, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like that gives a, that gives a, a weird. This is a weird movie. No, but I feel like that gives a slanted portrait of the movie as some sort of polemic, and it's like really not about the politics. You barely even know, like. There's really not a lot of politics in the movie. It's really oh, a personal story about these disagree. two guys. This is a and tone poem that is a diatribe against that's not colonialism, what which is a, good, a fantastic message. Hal's really fired up. Uh, listen, British colonialists, uh, King George, if you're Come listening to this podcast, Hal's very upset about, yeah. uh, about all of it, really. You really made him mad. Yep. Uh, <laughs> RRR, a searing political drama, the Oliver Stone of India, as <laughs> Suraj Muthi. I mean, uh, obviously, what you're saying is a bit extreme. I think it, <laughs> it blends it, it it blends insane, over-the-top action. One of the characters is introduced. There's an upside-down shot where we see his reflection in water. He then pours blood over himself and runs through the jungle where he's being chased by a wolf. But then he gets away from the wolf by spotting a tiger, and he he, mm -hmm. he limbos under the tiger as it leaps at him so that the tiger will fight the wolf, and he gets away unscathed. The wolf is fine, everybody, by the way. So I feel like it's that's the movie. The, it does have an anti-colonial message. It is set during the British Raj. All these things are true. But the movie is about, like, the watch this guy dodge a tiger with a wolf. More so than... Listen, we got to talk about fomenting a revolution in the early 20th century. <laughs> yeah, and then these these two guys come together to fight the the enemy, the uh, the British. Uh, Komram Beam and Ramaraja. Like Captain America and Iron Man coming together. It is. It really is like if Captain America and Iron Man, but they were also like George Washington and James Madison. That's yeah. That's really what the movie is like but not a comedy. Like we do stuff like that. Like there was that animated one where it was like a superhero parody, but with Patriot, you know, founding fathers. 
It's not mm-hmm. a comedy, yeah. but it is like fun. It, 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 it like an Avengers film. Would it's be. wild and over the top for sure. And some some of the special effects are great. Some of the special effects feel a little video game-ish. Hollywood, baby! Yeah, but it's it's fun to watch the whole way through. And there's also a little bit of intrigue with the characters. Um, a little bit like Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon in Departed. Like, oh, does this one know who the other one is? And does the other one know who this one is? Uh, it's It's really fun. It's compelling. It's well-made. Uh, it's a rousing good time with a st- with a strong anti-colonialism. <laughs> if you were thinking about doing it. a colonialism, this movie will make you change your mind. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> RRR is available on Netflix. Absolutely worth checking out. A rousing, wild, weird, fun time. There you go. And then uh, finally, we both went to the theaters to check out Top Gun Maverick, the highest. I don't know about you, Tom Cruise thanked me personally. He thanked me too. He came up on screen and was like, hey, you there, thanks. uh, But I don't know about you, Nicole Kidman also really like cheered me on for like being in the theater because this is the place where heartbreak actually feels good. She always manages to go to the movies right after it's rained. Do you notice? It's like, it's it's not raining yeah. when she shows up, but it's like a very, like the puddles are still there. Like she she waited out the racer was like, this is the this is my moment. I'm yeah. going to the movies. The blacktop is glistening. The glistening, uh, yeah. A nice post rain. And that's why nobody's at the theater because it was a, just a downpour. So everybody so, stayed home. Let's set the stage. I don't know about you, Lon, but I was on cloud nine after being greeted by both of those huge By stars. Tom and Nicole. You got, oh, for yeah. a moment, you were pretending they were still together, happier than ever. Oh. Brought back a lot of great memories. I felt like I was in the rolling fields of far and away. <laughs> yeah, Nicole comes on to welcome you to AMC Theaters. Then Tom makes a surprise appearance, looks mm-hmm. straight in the eye, and thank you for coming out to movie theaters. He we wasn't going to dare... You was not going to show you Top Gun at your home like some uh, oh. troglodyte. How dare you even suggest yeah, such like a thing? A, a, a real the anti-streaming message coming yes. from Tom. I, I, here's, here's the thing about with me and, and, and Tom Cruise. And, and I look, oh. I understand. I understand. What's up with you two? A lot. The complicated backstory. Uh, I understand that a lot of people are very put off by the the weirdness the Scientology the weird intensity the Scientology is a very dark organization his connection with it is yeah. unseemly I get it I'm not denying any of these things are true or defending them but the 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 reason I find it so hard to turn my back on Tom Cruise entirely even though I accept that he's very, a, a weird man who I I may not like you know personally or whatever yeah he really seems to love movies in a personal and a passionate way like this means something to him and the movie experience means something to him it is not i don't think that's marketing i think you can tell even when he's recording uh a little clip like that or when he's talking about theatrical movies and the theatrical experience and it's real i think it comes from a real place and i think you can tell that he means it just by the dedication to work on these movies and to make them all of this level of of technical achievement and I have a similar point of view, but I want let me ask you uh, one question. Do you think his COVID protocols rant was real, or was that staged? 
I think it was real. I that one I I I do not get with as much. Like I believe that was authentic. I didn't really like it. I don't think you should ever really talk to people you work with like that. Yeah. I think that I think that if talking to you in a in a confident and assertive manner, uh, multiple warnings or whatever, if that doesn't get the message across, then we have to come up with another way or yeah. just let you go. But I don't think there's ever a good reason to scream at the top of your lungs at people, especially in front of other people. To me, that is kind of the essence of a, a creating a hostile work environment yeah. is you're going to dress me down in front of my colleagues. Uh, it makes it, it just, I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't like it as a power dynamic. He's already Tom Cruise. He's by far the most important, powerful man on that set. He's yeah. everything. He's the star. He's the producer. It's his thing. He should Ooh. never be chewing out. I don't care how many times you mess up and don't wear your mask. If yeah. it's that bad, fire them. But I don't think there's ever a reason to create that kind of a environment. But I do think it was real. I don't think it was gotcha. fake. Uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, Tom Cruise, he cares about what he's doing. And he's he's just damn good at this stuff. He's good at being a movie star. So, you, But are his... Are the crimes of this person? Are well, the, I don't think uh, we need to answer that. But I'm just like, to me, it's like, it's. It, I'm sorry, finish. I didn't mean to. But uh, to, no, to what you were saying, does what he has done in his personal life supersede his I don't movie wanna, stardom? Do you want me to? I'm not answering that. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's up to everybody yeah, individually. I don't, I don't know. I don't either. think there's, there's an some answer. People, some people are. Uh, the answer's clear cut. I don't want to go see a Roman Polanski film. I don't want to go see a Woody Allen movie. Well, like, right. I mean, to me, that that drives hope. Like, when you're talking about Woody Woody Allen, Wood Rob, like, you're talking about the allegations against them are specific. It's like, right. here's this thing that we think, well, in Roman Polanski's case, he's admitted to doing. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's not a clear-cut case like that, or at least as far as I know. Maybe maybe there are people out there who have very specific claims, like here's what Tom Cruise did on this date to this person, and it's established. I To me, it always seems like he's just, well, Scientology's bad, and he's creepy, and, and it, right. it always just kind of seems a little bit more vague. Yeah, no, I'm just, just asking the questions, because I think Tom Cruise is... You're damn just asking questions, man. You're just out here asking questions. Err on the side of agreeing with you here. I think Tom Cruise does you know, put his heart and soul into this business of making movies. But I also think the other thing I would say is very few actors could do this movie. To make Top Gun Maverick work, you got to be able to, like, fly in a jet upside down with the G-forces and pull off the action in a believable way. But then mm -hmm. you also have to be able to play these scenes. He's got an amazing scene with Val Kilmer in this movie. He's got a really great scene with Miles Teller in this movie. He's got a few, I thought, really good scenes with Jennifer Connelly in this movie. Yeah. He's, you gotta be able to do both. And how many actors could give you believable, lived-in, thoughtful performances and then get in the jet and go upside down over the top of a mountain. It's like, how is this the same guy? Yeah, and at, at 59 years old, uh, he's doing it. I, th this movie does tick all the boxes you want. It's almost too much of a crowd pleaser. I, I, if I had one, uh, if, if, like if I had one main criticism about it, I'd say the ending is a little bit pat. I know you had wished it opened with a four-minute uh, look back at everything that happened in the Star Wars prequels. 
Yes. Oh, then you I were like singing. You were like, "How am I supposed it. to get into Top Gun oh, Maverick without?" Then I would trumpet this from the highest. A visit to hill. Dexter Jetster's diner. It's just not complete. No, but uh, the uh, the the ending is a little convenient and pat for uh, a Top Gun. But I feel like for for a film about the military, it's it's somehow like that's the backdrop, but it's not. And this is going to sound weird, but it's not super rah-rah jingoistic. I, I agree with you. It is It is still like, look, I don't think you're ever going to make a Top Gun movie that doesn't make flying jets for the Navy, at least sometimes, look Looks pretty exciting hell. and cool. It's sick as hell. And like, I don't, they're not going to be able to like, that's the movie. You can't cover that up or, or not acknowledge that. But I, I agree with you. I think that it doesn't feel like... It's just about America being the solution to all the world's problems and yeah. might makes right and and what have you. Uh, it's it's as non-propagandistic as a Top Gun movie possibly could be, which is still, it still functions like military propaganda, but it doesn't right. feel like it's hitting you over that. And they do add, there is one sort of nuanced thread that they're pulling through where there is a conflict between sort of Maverick, uh, Tom Cruise's pilot, and then his superior, who's played by John Hamm, and uh, John Hamm and Ed Harris, who's his superior, and a lot of the military brass, they are all about drones. They don't want to worry about pilots. They don't care about pilots' lives. They don't value human instincts. They just want to bombard the enemy with, with drones and machines. And, uh, and and there is a there is an overall lack of humanity and lack of respect for humanity that the film does point out it exists. Just as these guys don't believe that it's important to have a pilot making the call in the cockpit in the moment, they're also, when John Hamm is told, you know, we could lose a few pilot lives on this mission, he sort of shrugs it off. It's like, well, the mission is the thing, not the pilots. And that Maverick is like, no, everybody's coming home. And I thought, that is not a rah-rah militaristic propaganda type thing. Like, it's it's taking it axiomatically that, you know, like having a U.S. military is good and sometimes the U.S. military has missions that are good. So if you disagree with that, you're not going to like it still. But it's not just the same sort of stuff we've seen in the first Top Gun and other movies of this. So it's adding a little nuance and like, look, the way that the U.S. military sees some of these things is not necessarily how the movie also sees them. It's trying to take the side of humanity over the red tape bureaucracy of right. the military. Exactly. You know, for yeah. you know, take that w w what you will. Uh, Tom Cruise, he is the maverick. It's he's the guy that you know bucks authority, whatever in, in the movie. But that being mm -hmm. said, the movie just back to like just a overall view of it. It ticks so many boxes nostalgia check uh being true to the maverick character check um dazzling aerial photography and like cool action that drives the film check like it really is a crowd pleaser strong anti-british colonialism message you know check. what I, that could have been a little stronger <laughs> in my opinion i'm not a fan of it the way you are lon yeah, it, i know in, in, I lon has a union jack flag hanging i was just room. like listen why doesn't america still belong to england that's why I, that's when i would like this movie more if 
America was still a British colony. I don't know. We might be better off for it. Uh, mm. There's a couple of amendments. I like that, tea. Uh, I would like Listen, to. tea's uh, good. I, I went to a Saturday early matinee. It was uh, very nice. It felt uh, very, what time? How early? Very COVID friendly. Eleven thirty. First showing at the theater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Not that. And uh, and um, I got to my wife and I. I'm a wife guy. We went. Yeah. Uh, we, we got to sit like on our own. Like so. No, no people. Like you didn't even sit with us. your wife. That's rude. No, together. But away went. from other people. <laughs> together, but away from other people. Fourth okay. row. You guys got row. to the got to the theater, and then you were like, "All right, I'll see you later." What are you gonna see? Yeah, I went in and saw Men. <laughs> uh, Alex Garland's Men. Yeah, what kind uh, of life guy is this? Anyway. No, uh, but before the night before, we watched the original Top Gun, which I'm very thankful for. You might, like, you probably remember all the bit and the major beats of that flick, but there's just some nuanced things that, like, oh, I didn't remember that. There is one line in the original Top Gun where I believe it is- uh, I feel the need, the need no, for speed. Yes, that is in there. James Tolkien, who he was also Principal Strickland from the Back to the Future films, yes. you know, the slacker guy. He's he's in the, the original Top Gun and he's the guy at the very beginning who's chewing it out. Your, your mouth's writing checks, your body can't cash is the real famous line. Yeah. Uh, he mentions that uh, Maverick previously got in trouble for sleeping with a general, with an admiral's daughter. And they named the daughter, it's Penny. So Jennifer... Uh, Jennifer Connelly. Her, her character in this, Jennifer Connelly's character in this is referenced in the original Top Gun. She's the Admiral's daughter. And then, and then when they're first talking in the bar, she mentions like getting in trouble with another Admiral. They don't like you. That's her dad. Her oh, dad was the Admiral. Oh, there so you go. Very, you go. very subtle reference. Like that's, that's really well done. Um. The the original is up on Netflix right now if, if you want to check it out. And you know what? Like, we came here to talk about Top Gun Maverick, but I will say the original, it holds up. It's brisk. It moves. Uh, I was... Tony Scott, man, yeah. Yeah, that Tony's, guy, uh, that guy knew what he was greats. doing. One of the greats. Uh, great, great action director, great director. Uh, the, the original really delivers the goods. Uh, so worth worth revisiting, and I think you'd be doing yourself a favor if you check that out on Netflix. Two more actors I would highlight before we get out of here. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Powell, he plays a very he's he's Hangman in the movie. He's a very yeah. stock. He's like the Iceman of this movie. This kind of stock, uh, bully sort of character. Let like me Glenn pause Powell's you the right actor. there one sec. Like you mentioning that stock bully kind of character. If you go back and watch the original Top Gun, it's like, oh, what did those, what did that group of Cobra Kai guys do after they left the dojo? Like, it is very much like a bunch of like blonde gum chewing, like, oh, we are bullies who are gonna uh, kick your ass. Although we know what Johnny ended up doing. But that aside, uh, uh, you know, Cobra Kai aside, but uh, yeah, that group of dudes is very much like uh, the Cobra Kai dudes. Uh, please continue. Anyway, I would say Glenn Powell, uh, the actor, really elevates that. Like, he, he makes it very, like, much more charming and likable than I think what's on the page. And he gets a big moment at the end that's one of the big crowd-pleasing, rousing moments, at least the crowd I saw it with. And, wow, I don't think the screenplay earns that. I think that's that's the actor. That's just, that mm -hmm. guy is just charisma times 10 and yeah. wins you over. And then the other one is, uh, I don't know if you caught this, Bob is Lewis Pullman, who is Bill Pullman's son. Yeah, yeah, I uh, And he's also, 
Mm-hmm. Also terrific in this. Uh, and, and just, it's a, it's a very, like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun, quirky performance. It feels like his dad. It feels like he could start filling in some of the same kinds of character roles that Bill Pullman became so famous for. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the good performances throughout, and you already mentioned, like, Ed Harris isn't huge in the movie, but, at, like, Ed Harris is just playing a quintessential, like, military He's heavy. really filling in. I feel like James Tolkien is, like, close to 90 now. He's probably too old to come back. So they were like, who else can we get who's like, who's today's James Tolkien? <laughs> and it's like, they nailed it. It's Ed Harris. Yeah. There's a shot, too. One shot. Like, Joseph Kaczynski, the guy who shot Tron Legacy, or the guy who directed Tron Legacy and Oblivion with Tom Cruise directed this. Beautiful right. job. It's a great-looking movie. Uh, mm-hmm. There is one shot where Ed Harris arrives at the base just as Maverick is taking off in his experimental plane. And you yeah. get Harris in the foreground. The plane takes off right at the camera. And then it, like, shakes the ground. And there's this shack next to Ed Harris that the roof gets, like, a little bit blown off as the plane goes by over Ed. It's such a cool shot. And it just won almost still image that gives you a sense of the power of this plane, the relationship between Maverick and this Ed Harris character, everything all in one. Just a cool movie, a, a visual storytelling. Feels cinematic. Cool movie, could cool movie. Could have used a little more anti-colonialism messaging. Yeah, how, how was Wader like, but, but what do you think about British people at the turn of the 20th century? What were they like? Movie? That's all I'm saying. It's got no opinion whatsoever. But uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a good time at the movie theater. Checks all the boxes. Maverick, Top Gun, Maverick is in theaters only. Tom Cruise will let you know. You're not gonna yeah. find it on streaming. Don't yeah. even try. Don't, what like what are you thinking? He'll come to your house. Yeah, be like Paramount Plus. Get the fuck out of here with this Paramount Plus, folks. Those are all the things we've come here to talk about. This. That's week. it, man. We binged it all. Uh, hoot hoot. Hoot hoot, Owl Nation. Look, what am I holding, Lon? It's an owl. Yes. Uh, Percival, right? Is that Percival, our old friend Percival from Movie Fights? Yes, this is Percival. Percival the Owl is here. I remember. Hoot hoot, Lon. Hoot hoot. Uh, Starburns Audio, thanks for having us. Travis Reeves, thanks for producing us. Jason Kay, thanks for that opening guitar lick music. Lon, tell him. Whatever you want. <laughs> Soldier Boy, tell them. That's uh, Binge Boys. Uh, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to keep up with everything I'm doing. You can also check out inside.com slash streaming. I update it every day, all day, with all these news stories that you're hearing here on the show. If you want to keep up even more dramatically closely with what's going on in the world of streaming, that is where to do it. Boom. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick. And you can check out my daily streaming show from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on the West Coast and 2 to 4 on the East Coast, Monday through Friday. You can find it now on twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. I'm going to be on Twitch, so come. Listen, it's going to be a little bit of news, pop culture, movie stuff, and then goofs, gags, shenanigans, tomfoolery, buffoonery, hijinks. You name it. It's I'm a little exhausted how how much it is. It's just, just I tried everything. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.